Hey guys, and thank you for tuning in to the Crimson Flow Biblecast podcast. I hope this podcast blesses you like it has me by reading the Word of God. So don't forget to share with your family and friends. Thank you all, and God bless you. And welcome back to another episode of Crimson Flow Biblecast. I am your host, Nathan. And today is our long episode. We're going to get right into it because it is a long chapter. This might be the whole entire episode, but I doubt it. We have been covering the exit uh, or the rescuing of the Hebrew children of Israel by Moses. And we got up to the point where he had done some of these plagues and everything like that, but they had not got to leave Egypt yet. So we're going to get right into that in chapter 12, and let's get started. said, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month, They shall take to them every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers and a lamb for for an house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. Ye shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. And ye shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. Now let's keep in mind here, uh, I mean, just going back, let's look at what it just said. Because they're talking about the sacrifice that they're going to make for the first Passover, uh, remembrance or celebration or whatever. And it says... Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. Ye shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. So the lamb had to be perfect. What does that resemble us in later later times in the Bible? That resembles Jesus. Jesus was perfect. He, he, did, he was a human without sin. He's the only human that has ever existed and will ever exist without sin. Okay, so with that being said, Jesus is the Lamb of God. We all know that. And if you turn around and think about it, they unknowingly, in the New Testament, picked out their sacrificial lamb. But he was a human. He was God. They they picked out God as their sacrificial lamb. It's kind of wild, isn't it? Okay, let's let's keep on going here. And then it says, And they shall take of the blood and strike it upon two side posts and upon the upper door posts of the house, wherein they shall eat. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire, unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden of it with water, but roast with fire, his head with his legs, and the pertinence thereof. And ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, that which remaineth of it until the morning ye shall burn with fire. So they had to consume 
every bit of this lamb in one night. That's a lot of food. That's a lot of food, okay? Uh, well, then again, back then their households were full of people, so it may not have been as much as what I'm trying to picture as one person having to eat, but still, I, I think a lamb is a lot of meat, okay? But then again, I don't know, but they couldn't, couldn't leave anything, uh, or if they did, they had to burn it the next morning. And thus shall ye eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. You gotta eat it fast. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and I will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. So this night he is going to pass through, and he's going to kill all the firstborns like that. But but the ones who have sacrificed their lamb and put put the blood on the door doorpost and on the uh, top of the door, that's when he's going to know that they are Hebrew. Of course, he knows, but it's just, are they worshiping? Are they being obedient to God enough to where they trust and believe in him enough to be worthy of surviving this deadly plague is basically what it was. It was one of God's plagues, one of, um, I don't, I don't really feel comfortable calling it a plague. It was just one of his judgments. Uh, and then it says, uh, and the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And I, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Basically what I just said. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you. And when I smite the land of Egypt, the, and this day shall be unto you for a memorial and ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout the generations. Ye shall keep it a feast by ordinance forever. Seven days shall ye eat unleavened bread. Now, unleavened bread is not like, uh, it's not loaf bread. It's crackers. It's crackers. It's um, even pita bread is, is leavened bread. So we're talking about something thin, something like a crisp, basically flour and water. There's no rising agent, like all-purpose flour. There's no rising agents, there's no baking powder, no baking soda, anything like that to, to make it rise up. It's just flat bread. Like, I don't even know if tortillas would be considered a unleavened bread. Like, I would I would think so, because I don't think they're rising any or anything like that. But, but I mean, it could work. I, I don't know. Like, I, I'm not, pers personally, I'm not Jewish, so I wouldn't know. Um, because they still, they still uh, honor this. To this day, it's the Passover ceremony over in um, Israel. Of course, it's sa uh, sacrifice. It's celebrated worldwide, but obviously we know that Israel is the, the home of the Jews. But yeah, I think it's the... Um, it's in the month of January. Every year they celebrate a week of Passover, and they... Um, now, I don't know if they actually still do this the actual lamb sacrifices, especially in the city. I could be wrong. Uh, if any of you out there are listening that do this, let me know because I'm, I'm, I'm actually curious. I don't know if the actual animal sacrifices happen anymore, but I do know they observe the, the Passover. They eat the unleavened bread. They All this other stuff. They had the feast and, and whatnot. So let's just keep on going. And it says... Um, and this day shall be unto you a memorial, and ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. That's why they still do it. 
and ye shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. Seven days shall ye eat unleavened bread, and even the first day ye shall put away leaven out of your house. Like, they, they take all the leavening agents all the way out of their house. Like, they don't even... But just to keep them from being tempted to put this in the bread, to make rising biscuits or something like that, you know? And it says, For whosoever eateth leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, the soul, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. Ooh, that's a, that's a pretty strong, strict st- statement there. And in the first day there shall be a holy convocation. And in the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation to you. No manner of work shall be done in them, save that which every man must eat, that only may be done of you. And ye shall observe the feast of the unleavened bread for his, in his selfsame day that I brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore shall ye observe this day in your generations by an ordinance forever. In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month of, at even, ye shall eat unleavened bread, until the one and twentieth day of the month at even. What I get from this is when it says first month and fourteenth day at even until the twenty-first of every single year. And I believe that's to this day exactly when they do the Passover. Is that third week pretty much, essentially, in a way, of January. Okay? Okay, so then it says, Seven days shall there be no leaven found in your house, basically repeating what he just said, for whosoever eateth it, which it, that it leaven, even the soul shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he be a stranger or born in the land. Ooh. Ye shall eat nothing leavened in all of your habitations, shall ye eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said unto them, Draw out and take you a lamb according to your families and kill the Passover. And ye shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lentil and the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin and none of you shall go out at the door of his house until the morning. Okay, so basically he's he's going into like an illustrative detail about how he wants this blood to be applied. He said... Take the hyssop, which is some kind of a plant. I don't really know if it was used for cooking or what, but take it, dip it in the blood that is in the basin after they've drained the, the lamb. Take it and then smack it on the doorpost and the door, the door top. I keep forgetting what that's called. And, and then you shouldn't go out of your house until the next morning. No smoke breaks, no pee breaks. And that just thought that thought just popped in my head. How did they go to the bathroom back then? Like, did they? I know they didn't have a modern day indoor plumbing. Obviously, I know they had some kind of a drain spout. I just wonder how. But that's I know that's totally off subject. But then it says, "For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians, and when he seeth the blood upon the lintel." And on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door and not suffer the destroyer to come into your house and to smite you. So basically, God is sending death. Figuratively, he's sending the angel of death through this land. And those red markers are kind of like the opposite of the red paint on the trees 
as you drive down the road, sometimes you'll see red paint or red X on a tree, and that essentially means the electric company or whoever's going to need to come cut those down. Well, this is the exact opposite. They cut everything down but those trees, okay? It's basically what he's saying here. It's pretty self-explanatory, honestly. And in verse 24, it says, And ye shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and to thy sons forever. And it shall come to pass when ye be come to the land which the Lord will give you, according as he hath promised, ye shall keep this service. Okay, so now he's making a prophecy to them about the promised land. Okay, so then it says, And it shall come to pass when your children shall, shall say unto you, What mean ye by this service? Then that ye shall say, It is a sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses, and the people bowed the head and worshipped. And the children of Israel went away and did as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron so did they. It, and it came to pass that at the midnight the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh. Even even Pharaoh was in the middle of this. He, and his firstborn could not survive. And it says, From the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on the throne unto the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon, all and all the firstborn of cattle. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt. For there was not an house where there was not one dead. And he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise up and get you forth from among my people, both ye and the children of Israel, and go and serve the Lord as ye have said. Also take your flocks and your herds as ye have said, and be gone and bless me also. So now Pharaoh is kind of getting scared. Like, if I keep these cats in here any longer, this whole area is going to die. So now he's trying to give them everything they want, and then as he's saying this, he said, and bless me also. So now he's wanting all these curses to end, just to make sure they didn't leave no remnants of curses behind, so to speak. And, the, and it says, and the Egyptians were urgent upon the people that they might send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we be all dead men. And the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading troughs being bound up in their clothes upon their shoulders. And the children of Israel did according to the word of Moses, and they borrowed of the Egyptians jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment. raiment. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they lent unto them such things as they required, as they spoiled the Egyptians, and they spoiled the Egyptians. And the children of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth, about 600,000 on foot, that were men beside children. And a mixed multitude went to went up also with them, and flocks and herds, even very much cattle. And they baked unleavened cakes of dough, which they brought forth out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not tarry, neither had they prepared for themselves any victual. Now the sojourning of the children of Israel who dwelt in Egypt for, was 430 years. Okay, so these people, you have to remember that a long time ago, 430 years to be exact, at least, it was more than that, but so let's say about 450 years, was the last Pharaoh 
that knew the Lord because of Jacob, I believe, yeah, Jacob, and his governing and his interpretation of that one dream that showed a prophecy of the future of seven years of plentifulness and then seven years of drought or basically famine. So Jacob was put in charge so that he could uh, prepare for this, and he stocked up for seven years. He stocked up so much entirely that he was able to give and give and give it to uh, some of his own people who knew not who he was, which I find very interesting. And I may go to that story next after I get done with Proverbs because that's that's pretty interesting as well. It's very spiritual. It's very filling uh, or meaty as far as Scripture goes. You can get a lot out of it. So I may hit that up next on our daily devotional whenever we get through with our wisdom series in the book of Proverbs. Okay, so let's continue on. And it says... Okay, we just learned that it was 430 years that these uh, the children of Israel had been bound in bondage and slavery to the Pharaoh. And then it says, And it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, even the selfsame day it came to pass, that all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It is a night to be much observed unto the Lord for bringing them out from the land of Egypt, that this is the night of the Lord to be observed all the children of Israel in their generation. Now, I noticed something about this, and it kind of stuck out to me, that it says that all the host of the Lord. I just take this as something kind of neat, because in the New Testament, it tells us that we should uh, we should accept Jesus inside of us, into our hearts. So we would be host of the Lord. Host as in hosting the Holy Spirit, the, the three-in-one God, Jesus, and Holy Spirit all together in one that once we accept him inside of us, we are now host of the Lord. I just found that kind of cool. It was random. It was a thought that popped in my head. Pretty sure God put it there because he felt like I should share it. Just to kind of prove that the Old Testament is the same as the New Testament because God never changes. But there's always those people out there that's wanting to say, Well, the Old Testament was different. In a way, yes, but at the same time, no, it wasn't, because God cannot change. Titus 1-2 says God cannot lie. So if he cannot lie, then he cannot change. If he tells somebody something, he can't change. He has to say the same thing for then on. But, of course, everything he's ever done has been the same for eternity, because he is eternal. He's an eternal being. Okay, okay. verse 43 says, And the Lord said unto Moses and Aaron, This is the ordinance of the Passover. There shall no stranger eat thereof. But every man's servant that is bought for money, when thou hast circumcised him, then shall he eat thereof. A foreigner and an hired servant shall not eat thereof. In one house shall it be eaten, that thou shalt not carry forth aught of the flesh abroad out of the house, neither shall ye break a bone thereof. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. And when a stranger shall sojourn with thee, and will keep the Passover to the Lord, let all of his males be circumcised, and then let him come near and keep it. And he shall be as one that is born in the land. For no uncircumcised person 
shall eat thereof. So basically, he's kind of saying here that they will be willing to invite people in, but they've got to get circumcised, and of course we all know what that means. And yes, it is meaning the literal extra skin, okay? It's not meaning circumcised to this, circumcised to that spiritually. It is a covenant to the Lord. We learn about that in Abram, Abram, Abraham, and Isaac, and all. And back in those days, if you go back and study that in the book of Genesis, it talks about how it's a covenant unto the Lord and a, a sign of obedience, okay? So then it says, One law shall be to him that is homeborn, and unto the stranger that sojourneth among you. Thus did all the children of Israel, as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, so did they. And it came to pass the selfsame day that the Lord did bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt of the, by the armies. Okay, now that takes us to the end of chapter 1, or chapter 1, chapter 12. But I think we can go at least one more chapter. Like I just said, they're willing to take people in. they got to be circumcised, and then they can eat. They can't eat till they're circumcised, so they got to cut that skin off before they can sit down at that table and eat a meal with the children of Israel. But once they do that, and as long as they observe the, uh, I don't want to call them rituals, the sacrifices, the ceremonies, and everything like that, then they will stay as a part of the children of Israel. And once again, I want to make a reference to the New Testament because isn't this like that? Like, you accept Jesus into your life, you become born again, you honor him, you follow the Holy Spirit's direction, you don't turn a cold shoulder to it. If it's telling you something's bad and you keep on doing it, that's that's slowly denying the Holy Spirit, and you do that too much, we all know that that's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, the only unpardonable sin, okay? So when you feel the Holy Spirit talking to you and telling you something, you might want to listen, because once you get that seared conscience to the Holy Spirit, it's not likely you're ever going to give it back or get it back, okay? And the reason the the blasphemy of the blasphemy blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is the only unpardonable sin is because it's essentially in your entire lifetime of all the times that you might have had somebody mention Jesus, all the times you might have heard somebody tell you about the the workings of God and everything like that, and you turned away every time. And then even when the Spirit is knocking at your heart's door saying, let me in, and it's convicting you, and you feel bad for everything you've ever done in your life, and yet you still hold back, and you reject the love that God is trying to pour out to you, God will turn away. Even though he loves you, he still loves you enough to let you make your own decision whether you want to be around him or not. He's like that family member in this sense. He's totally different, but in this sense, he's like that family member who, for some reason, you don't know why, but you never liked. Maybe you thought they were a little controlling. Maybe you thought this, or maybe you thought that they was like a um, an elder in your family that always had this life advice that nobody ever wanted to take because you knew it all and he didn't. You see what I'm saying? He's like that. And it gets up to the point where you don't even want to talk to him. You just reject his existence. He's like that, 
like the person that you just shun from the family. And he loves you and respects you enough that if you don't want to be around him, he won't come around you. Okay? So we got to keep that in mind. We shouldn't let our conscience be seared or our, uh, yeah, our conscience be seared from the Holy Spirit or God because once you turn away too much, he won't ever come knocking again. He's the perfect gentleman. And that's what I believe a lot of this uh, happened with Pharaoh. I mean, yes, God hardened his heart a few times, but he, but Pharaoh also hardened his own heart just as much. Okay? So, what God's plan was, mixed with Pharaoh's plan, led to his own destruction because of the choices he made. Okay? Either way, the children of Israel was going to get rescued. But it happened this way. Because Pharaoh still made that decision to hold the children captive even when God didn't harden his heart. So let's go on to verse 13, or verse 13, chapter 13. Read a little bit of it, see what happens, and we'll go from there. And it says in verse 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Sanctify unto me all the firstborn, whatsoever openeth, openeth the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and of beast, it is mine. And Moses said unto the people, Remember this day in which ye came out of the, out from Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for by strength of hand the Lord brought you out from this place. There shall be no leavened bread be eaten. This day came ye out in the month of Abib. Of course, obviously back then their months were named different. We run on a different calendar system than they did. And it shall be when the Lord shall bring thee into the land of and the Amorites, and the um, Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he sware unto thy fathers to give thee, a land flowing with milk and honey, that thou shalt keep the service of this month. Now, do I actually believe that it is actually flowing with milk and honey? Yes and no. I mean, I, I want to take God for his word most of the time, and when I say that, I don't mean I'm, I'm picking, choosing what I want to believe from the Bible. But we have to we have to understand that sometimes he's literally meaning something, or sometimes it's kind of figuratively. And I feel like in this instance it could be more figuratively, um, in a sense that it's a land full of rich soil, full of you know richness in in like growth, and it's just a blessed land. But at the same time, I mean, there could be an abundance of cattle. And honeybees could be making a lot of honey. I mean, I wasn't there. I don't know. So I believe this is probably like a 70-30. Uh, I believe 70, that it's more figuratively and that it's going to be a, like a richly blessed land. But at the same time, I also want to hold the thought that it is milk and honey that's there, you know. And it said, thou shalt keep this service in this month. Seven days thou shalt eat unleavened bread, and in the seventh day shall be a feast to the Lord. And that seventh day... Man, I bet that was a Thanksgiving feast. Just just saying. And then it says, Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days, and there shall be no leavened bread be seen with thee, neither shall there be leaven seen with thee in all thy quarter. So in your house, get it out. Get it out of there. So Moses is basically just going through and retelling what God had told him. 
and thou shalt show thy son in that day, saying, This is done because of that which the Lord did unto me when I came forth out of Egypt. And it shall be for a sign unto thee upon thine hand, and for the memorial between thine eyes, that the Lord's law may be in thy mouth. For with a strong hand hath the Lord brought thee out of Egypt. Thou shalt therefore keep this ordinance in the season from year to year, and it shall be when the Lord shall bring thee into the land of Canaanites, and he swear unto thee and to thy fathers, and shall give it thee. Thou shalt sit apart unto the Lord all that openeth the matrix, and for every firstling that cometh of a beast which thou hast, the males shall be the Lord's. Okay, so basically this is just saying that for all the firstborn males of every beast of every house shall be destined. I don't want to say destined. Well, I mean, yeah, it is destined in a way, but they shall be devoted to the Lord. Okay, so let's continue on here. And it says in verse 13, And every firstling of an ass thou shalt redeem with a lamb, and if thou wilt not redeem it, then thou shalt break his neck, and all the firstborn of man among thy children shalt thou redeem. And it shall be when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, What is this? And that thou shalt say unto him, By strength of hand, the Lord hath brought us out of Egypt from the house of bondage. And it came to pass, when Pharaoh would hardly let us go, and the Lord slew all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the four... I cannot talk today for some reason both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all that openeth the matrix, being males, but all the firstborn of my children I redeem. And it shall be for a token upon thine hand and for the frontlets between thine eyes, for by strength of hand the the Lord brought us forth out of Egypt. And it came to pass, when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God led them not through the way of the land of Philistines, Although that was near, for God said, Lest peradventure the people repent when they see war and they return to Egypt. But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up, harnessed out of the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had straightly sworn the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones away hence with you. And they took their journey from Succoth and encamped in Etham in the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them a day by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them the way, and by night in a pillar of fire. So if you can imagine during the daytime looking up at the sky and seeing this cloud, but it's a special cloud. You know there's something special about it, and it was guiding their way. Of course, this is in the middle of the desert. They hardly see clouds anyway. Okay, so just floating over, but that you know that that's the Lord guiding your way. And then at night, it was a pillar of fire. So imagine this, probably looked like a glowing star, or a like a, uh, or not a glowing star. But from America, you know the military rank, the, the golden bar, which is the second lieutenant, I think. See the second or first. I can't remember. I was in ROTC. I was never in the military, but I spent time in ROTC. And I should know this. But anyway, one of them. But just imagine that glowing in the sky because it was a pillar of fire. And it said to give them light to go by day and night. He took not away the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from the people. 
So he was leading them, okay? Yeah, I think we got time for one more chapter. It's only been 30-something minutes. So let's go ahead and uh, do chapter 14. Yeah, I think we'll go ahead and throw that in there just simply because it's important that we learn the what happens next. And it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they turn and encamp before Pharaoh, whatever that word is, something wroth between Migdal and the sea, over against a B-town. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. I cannot pronounce some of these words. And it says, Before it shall ye encamp by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are entangled in the land, and the wilderness has shut them out, or shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, that they that he shall follow after them, and I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord, and they did so. And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled, and the heart of the Pharaoh and of his servants was turned against the people, and they said, why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from the serving us? And he made ready his chariot, and took his people with him. And he took six hundred chosen chariots, and all the chariots of Egypt, and captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened his heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And he pursued after the children of Israel, and the children of Israel went out with a high hand. But the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots, and Pharaoh and his horse, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them encamping by the sea beside Pihiroth or whatever it is or in before the B town. And it said, And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid, and the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord, and they said unto Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians, that we should die in the wilderness. See, they're already complaining. And that's something you'll learn as we get through this, that, is that throughout the whole time of the rescue, I guess you could call it, and then them marching through the wilderness to get to the promised land. It took them 40 years. You know why? Because they kept complaining. But we'll get into that later on. Okay, now in verse 12, it keeps on, it says, or no, wait, we're in verse 13 now. I'm sorry. And it says, And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he, he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel, and they go forward, that they go forward. But lift thou up thy rod, and stretch out thine hand over the sea, and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. And I will get me honor upon Pharaoh, upon all his hosts upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh, upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. I'm sorry, but I keep thinking I'm talking like a pirate. <laughs> it said, when I have gotten me honor. It just makes me feel like I'm talking like a pirate. But I know, I know the context of what he's meaning. 
And he says, And the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them, and the pillar of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. So now the pillar is behind them. Okay? And it said, And it came between the camp of Egyptians and the camp of Israel, and it was a cloud in the darkness to them. So it kind of kind of like a smoke bomb, so to speak. Just clouded their vision. And it came... Okay, I read that. Uh, but it gave light by night to these, so that the one came not near the other all night. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. Okay, so basically when Moses lifted his hand up, these waters split, and it was made dry ground. An east wind and a west wind pushed these waters apart. Now, only God can do that. This ain't a freak accident of nature, because you have to, it would have to be, I mean, it could only be a miracle of God that an east wind and a west wind hit at the exact same time, splitting this sea so much that it's dry ground at the bottom. So you can't say, well, it was just nature. It just happened at that time. No, no. Quit trying to deny it, okay? It actually happened. And it was from God, nobody else, or no, nothing else. Then it says, And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. See, at first, when you're reading, it says, Stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea dry land. So you're thinking, well, it's just one direction. But it said it was a wall on their right hand and on their left. So how could it be an east wind? I mean, granted, God can do anything he wants. So maybe it was just an east wind. And it's it's God. We we can't explain because He works in mysterious ways, and He's an eternal being, and He's an all knowing. He's a being that cannot be understood by the human perception. Let's just say that. Okay, so maybe one day when we all get to heaven, the ones that believe in Him, we'll be able to ask Him, be like, "How are you?" <laughs> you know, kind of like one of those curiosity, like. How do you work? You know, of course, we will be like him in then, in that time. Complete spiritual beings in New Jerusalem after the Battle of Armageddon. That's going to be a tough one. Well, no, it's not going to be tough. I don't know why I say that, but that's a later story. Alrighty, it says here, it says in verse 23, And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them in the midst of the sea, even all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen. And it came to pass that in the morning watched the Lord looked onto the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and of the clouds and the troubled and troubled the host of the Egyptians and took off their chariot wheels and they drave them heavily so that the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thy hand over the sea and the waters may come again upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its strength when the morning appeared. And the Egyptians fled against it, and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. And the waters returned and covered the chariots, and the horsemen, and all the host of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. There remained not so much as one of them, 
But the children of Israel walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day in the hand of the Egyptians, and, in the Is- and Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And Israel saw the great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians, and the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Now, I read a story, a um, modern-day story, uh, the one day, and there was a discovery in the bottom of the Red Sea. Now, I don't know if you've all heard this. It may be old. I just happened to see it. But if you go to the bottom of the Red Sea, in the middle of it, as deep as it is, in the very middle of it, you will see ancient Egyptian chariots. I find that amazing. That the chariots that Moses, through the power of God, flooded them waters back down on top of them, killing them. The ones that had followed, well, they all followed when they were following. And um, those chariots are still there. I find that very fascinating. So, in all in all, let's go over the story in our minds and think, what does this mean for us? Well, what is your Red Sea? You've got victory. You've got a promised land on the other side. Whatever your situation might be, whether it's depression, anxiety, or any kind of mental health victory, or maybe you've got financial issues, you got bills coming up you can't pay, that Red Sea is taunting. Or maybe even you got health issues. You know, or maybe you got family issues. What is your Red Sea that you need God to part for you? So that you can walk through, make it through victoriously, and everybody that's coming up, all these unexpected bills, all this these um you know, maybe legal fees or whatever. It keeps popping up on you. Maybe you got uh, caught in the wrong place at the wrong time. You actually didn't do nothing, but yet you're getting getting the blame for it. You know, all these things are trying to drag you down. What is your Red Sea that you need delivered through? That's that's what I want to leave you with. Because God will part those waters, but you have to have faith and you have to have trust. Faith, hope, and love are the good things he gave us, and the greatest is love. But you can't truly have love without faith and hope. He will lead you through that Red Sea, and he will strike your enemy down. But let's remember the story of Peter when he walked on the water. He didn't walk on the water out of his own power. He didn't walk over all over the water Simply because Jesus said, here, walk on the water. He walked on the water because he kept his eyes on Jesus. He kept his eyes on God. He kept his faith, his trust, his eyes upon the Lord. He walked on water. But the second he looked the other way, he started sinking. 
we should have our whole truthful and undoubted committed faith in what God's doing in our life. And that we should not fear anything for he knows our pathways. He knows our way to righteousness. Just give in and let him control. If you try to do it yourself, you're just going to mess it up. It's human nature. We always mess up. Because we are failures without him. Alrighty, thank you all for listening. This has been another episode of Crimson Flow Biblecast. I will see you all tomorrow. And don't forget to rate, review, share, all that other good stuff. And God bless y'all. And until next time.